and welcome to another episode of the Digital Twin Fan Club Diaries. Today, I am solo as Jonathan, Jonathan Monkley, is in New York. He is currently pitching and uh, spreading the good word of Zero Construct, the uh, net zero uh, not-for-profit charity that he leads uh, over there to uh, try and share the message, share their insights, share the knowledge that they've got and share their expertise. So I'm really excited for him to be there, but sadly that leaves me all alone to talk to your good selves as planes go over. So we're going to carry on because there are quite a lot of uh, pieces of news that I have for you today for digital twin fans. So we're going to get into that in a second. We've got news about the Ministry of Justices new digital twin demonstrator proof of concept that they have delivered we have some uh, insights into what is happening with the national cyber physical infrastructure work there's also a number of other interesting uh, little bits and bobs that i have uh, scattered around that i've been looking at this week and it's not quite as therapeutic, just telling yourself, but uh, I will be happy to talk about that. And uh, I'll be talking also about the work that I have uh, been developing with uh, Ricardo Cosentino, who uh, Neil Thompson and I were on his podcast. And actually, that leads me on to this rather wonderful segue. So you just bear with me. I shall play this for you. This podcast is proudly sponsored by the Navigating Major Programs podcast with Ricardo Costantino, which I think is elevating the conversation around infrastructure and major projects. He talks to leading experts around the world to get edifying insights on a range of topics from EDI to integrated project delivery and management to machine learning. Every episode systematically dismantles misconceptions with candid and real insights because Ricardo is himself an expert, and so are his guests. I really enjoyed the episode where special guest Jim Barnard, an expert in investment in major programs himself, turned the tables on Ricardo and asked him to explain the real benefits of collaborative contracts for public-private partnerships. Great episode, but there are loads of others, always with experts, always insightful, so... Check out Navigating Major Programs, available wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast. Oh, it went on twice there. That's fine. Thank you, Ricardo, for sponsoring us. Do go and check out uh, that podcast. Um, I really enjoyed being on there. And uh, Ricardo and I have actually been um, working together more on uh, innovation policy for Canada. We are uh, pulling together some plans to demonstrate how the world can build on the experience and expertise that the UK uh, delivered through the Centre for Digital Built Britain, where I was the head of information management. Usually don't talk about that on podcasts. I guess it's because everybody else is here and they're all, uh, you know, everyone's being amazing and I want to make them look amazing. Um, But yeah, he and I have been talking about how the UK have done things well in the past and where there are things to improve, which is obviously diplomatic language for where there were mistakes or where there were problems. Um, You know, the UK has, even if you've seen from the inside, you know, behind the curtain, Wizard of Oz style, 
and think that things could be a lot better, uh, the UK still has actually been leading. You know, there are a few countries around the world that are genuinely, genuinely leading infrastructure innovation. And the UK, in its way, in its space, is doing that. You know, ISO 19650. I have some personal problems with it. I think it needs to be improved. But it's actually the best thing on the international market for standardizing information management, whether I, you know, whether I think it could be better or not. Um, simultaneously, you know, the national digital twin, uh, I think there could be more practical implementations um, uh, being observed, but I understand their process. And again, you know, this is taking a big strategic approach rather than say, you know, other countries that have done really good things, but maybe done it in a different way, like uh, Singapore, uh, you know, where they um, did a national digital twin really early, but it was uh, much more focused on the 3D um, and Frankly, it has a much less complex stakeholder map because Singapore owns the majority of the land in Singapore. So they have that capability and capacity. It is also much, much smaller than the UK. And the UK has to manage like really complex relationships between government departments um, to get anything done effectively. And then you've got regions, you've got devolvement. You know, there's a lot going on in the UK to make anything happen. So if we can do it in the UK, then you can do it in the anywhere else effectively my view is it's uh it's like have you ever done i did uh, a level maths um uh, wasn't uh, did uh, uh shows off briefly did uh pure maths uh, a year early i just was like i cannot do this this is awful this is the worst thing i've ever done and i'm never going to be able to do this ever again until next year when i um went on to pure maths 2 and i had to resit pure maths 1 I was like, oh, this is this is quite doable. Um, I think in that same way, that same lesson can be drawn with innovation policy. It's really tough the first time. But when you come back around the second time, then it's always a lot better. So that's another reason that I also kind of propose like, you know, an agile approach. And that's what's been going on. Talking of agile approaches, uh, I did a post on LinkedIn the other day with the National Cyber Physical Infrastructure Ecosystem because I was there at their launch put together the graphic from uh, the responsive infrastructure paper. I've been told to stop calling it the Femi Data Review, not by anybody official, just by, you know, people who are like, dude, you look like a royal egotist. I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. So anyway, the responsive infrastructure paper, um, aligning that with also the uh, tech spine work, the uh, work that um, has been going on uh, with National Grid and, you know, Simon Evans of the podcast uh, with Arab has been, helping deliver that and kind of creating these overall processes. And um, also our good friend of the show, Jonathan Eyre, has been uh, involved in delivering that national cyber physical infrastructure ecosystem. And I don't think it is any secret that what they're doing right now is the stakeholder mapping, that kind of innovation ecosystem, who is doing what and where, which is a really useful uh, piece of work to understand what's going on. I think that's certainly lessons learned from, you know, I talked about the complexity of the UK's governmental system, you know, the kind of the way that different departments do different things, et cetera, et cetera. You'll have picked that up over, over the years. God, it has been years. Um, and this is about bringing together all these different approaches. And, you know, it's quite complementary, in my view, to the National Digital Twin, which is, you know, really doing, um, uh, bringing together different digital twin use cases and developing, you know, new uh, new ways of doing things. Um, while this uh, cyber physical infrastructure ecosystem, 
um, is bringing loads of different things together. So they are actively searching uh, for uh, people right now. You can uh, get in touch with me using LinkedIn, Henry Fenby Taylor, that's me, or you can go on uh, LinkedIn and look for the National Cyberphysical Infrastructure Ecosystem. I'm not trying to gatekeep here. You can get hold of them in, in loads of different ways. And yeah, I would uh, I would get involved if you're interested in, in making the world a uh, a better place. You know, there's a lot of work to do. Don't get me wrong, because there's going to be a lot of people who are going to want to get this perfect before they even start. And that's a real challenge that I keep focusing on in, in the built environment around the world. Um, so, yeah, I would say check that out. But, you know, it's it's talking to uh, Ricardo quite a lot as we've been doing. We've been looking at what uh, Canada has been doing and could do. And there is some very interesting digital twin work that's kicking off there, specifically in Ontario. There's some really stuff, interesting stuff happening. But it's clear that there is uh, a need for a bit more of a strategic approach. Um, and I, I think that's going to be a really interesting uh, thing that uh, develops out of this, you know, um, since uh, kind of we came up with the responsive infrastructure uh, theory approach, which is effectively saying, you know, we need an, we need an innovation ecosystem that is needs driven. Uh, and by needs, you know, people like to say use cases is very popular, but problems, what are the problems? You know, let's not start with digital twins. Let's not start with BIM. Let's start with some problems and let's solve some problems. What are you trying to solve? You can probably solve it with with data and improving your measurement of it. And then, you know, doing stuff with that measurement that you do, right? Just so happens that that means BIM and digital twins. Great stuff. So um, uh, we are looking at how Canada is developing its own capabilities and looking how uh, it is trying to coordinate, you know, it's got uh, infrastructure, it's a different uh, approach to government that they have, you know, it's uh, very much on the state system. So there is a, a federal approach and then a state-based approach. And so that kind of adds, adds complexities, but, you know, I don't think you could really get more complex than the UK uh, governmental system. You know, it's really old and a lot of other systems are based on that um, and then go in different directions, you know, for good or for bad. So, you know, I think there's a lot of lessons that they can learn, particularly around, um, you know, the collaboration with academia and innovation and startups uh, and SMEs. So, you know, that in innovation ecosystem work is really important. But then, you know, as was seen when Google tried to make, like, just create a smart neighborhood, you really, you don't get the same level of buy-in just automatic buy-in that you get when you buy a mobile phone it says do you accept conditions like yes 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 that's fine you know you don't get that when there was that great example of the the smart district and there were going to be cameras everywhere and it's going to be really smart it's going to make everybody's life better and the locals are like oh no you don't so there's a lot of lessons uh, learned there about making infrastructure responsive to the needs of people and their concerns and that's you know that's got to be the way it, it's got to go here in the West, you know, we are looking for a uh, permissive society. We are looking to uh, develop trust in government and for government to be worthy of that trust. So having uh, infrastructure that operates better on their behalf without, you know, feeling that they are being subjected to uh, onerous uh, observation is, you know, is a tension that needs to be balanced uh, effectively. And, and really, ultimately, you know, I think that if a lot of People found out more about digital twins and cyber-physical infrastructure and even BIM. You know, 
in our little world, you know, you, you're listening to us right now. You know about all this stuff, even if only fleetingly. Um, if this was in the uh, in the press massively, I do genuinely believe it would be a huge uh, potential concern uh, in the same way that five-minute cities, ten-minute cities uh, became really concerning because that communication wasn't given by the fans of five-minute cities it was taken by other parties and you know i have my little conspiracy theory about why that is and you know well as do a number of people saying that you know this was against the interests of people that want to sell petrol and fuel but you know in in the example of oxford when they rolled out the smart city um uh, the five minute city they also rolled out cctvs simultaneously automatic measurement to uh like kind of control congestion and so people just conflated the two and that's not surprising right and if you don't communicate you just suddenly one day there are cameras you know you're gonna have this level of fallout so you know i really think that infrastructure needs to really improve its game and uh you know get involved more with local people to uh to stop this good luck trying to do that in france i say so yeah so that's how we're uh thinking about this uh, uh canadian approach right now is how do we develop a system that is acceptable to many people. So, you know, real specifics here, we are talking about reducing the carbon impact of buildings. So, you know, we can be talking digital twinning here. We're talking about the cost of procurement and you know, the failings of that over time. So we're talking BIM digital twins here. Um, and that leads me on to uh, some update I've had uh, from uh, the Ministry of Justice for a uh, demonstrator. I'd love to tell you more about as time goes on in, a, in an official capacity, but little teaser for now. Um, really, for, for my money, this is the best digital twin to come out of the UK government. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I like them. Uh, I'm saying that because they have brought together a really diverse kind of project team. So uh, Kia. Uh, handed this uh, exemplar uh, uh, building over. Um, so it is a prison. Um, I'm not quite sure where you, do you call people users or customers or, or residents. I don't know what you call people. So I'm just going to avoid that. Uh, <laughs> but what happens is, what happened is uh, Keir, in, Keir handed over uh, uh, this uh, building and uh, they went to a very high level with BIM, so there was a lot of information, there was a lot of data. So it was natural when the Ministry of Justice were targeting, like a lot of UK government departments are, were targeting reducing their energy spend, you know, that has a, a great CO2 knock-on effect, you know, you reduce the amount of CO2 that you emit if you reduce the amount of energy that you are using. But they had a real, you know, they've got a really big target that they've got a hit for the reduction there. So uh, today I was uh, in a talk uh, there with Keir and James Franklin's kind of, you know, chairing this uh, special interest group, really interesting work that uh, he's been doing. Um, but then there's, uh, they're not the only people there. There is some two really interesting uh, businesses involved in that. One is Glider, as in Glider BIM fame. And they've done a lot of the digital twinning work of this uh, building as like a proof of concept. Uh, so they're bringing together various bits of uh, data, kind of disparate data. So it's, you know, it's beginning with the asset model that's been handed over. Lots of thoughts about uh, security and handling and, 
you know, uh, ensuring that the you know the data is handled properly there, um, which is 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 really interesting. And and they've created an opportunity to kind of create a bit of an optimization loop, which basically brings me on to their next partner, um, which is a, a really uh, interesting uh, business, and that is uh, Future Decisions. Now they're building physicists, and they have a, a dashboard. So building physicists are looking at. CO2 levels, they're looking at humidity, they're looking at um, uh, electricity usage, they are looking at uh, how the air handling units are performing because you know their goal uh, initially, just finished the first phase, is to understand how they can make better decisions about how energy is used. And this can have all sorts of interesting knock-on benefits, including um, the comfort of the people who spend their time, who live, uh, you know, in these prisons and who work there, which can actually apparently create better outcomes for them, as in they are happier and healthier. So this would be really interesting to see how this develops. But then with these really, really, really big targets that the Ministry of Justice have to reduce CO2, which is, you know, applies across the UK government departments, you know, uh, the UK was recently announced as being one of the few countries that is going to you know meet some of its obligations for carbon reduction which is is crazy because again this is like the bim thing you know i look inside these things i've seen beside the behind the curtain i think god this could be so much better um and that's maybe that's just my nature because i look what other people are doing like oh they're not doing anything oh okay so you know it's uh, it's really exciting to see that these uh these things are happening and you know they have seen real real reductions in uh, the amount of energy that's being used and the comfort of, of the people who, who live there. So I think that's really interesting that they are really on the cusp of creating something that is going to be very powerful. And, you know, I think this is a huge opportunity for the UK to do some more world leading in terms of, you know, this is a standardized, standardized designs but also standardizing sensing, like this is the real digital twin journey that these uh, that these people are going on, and you know it's really interesting to hear from all of those people there who are, you know, uh, stuck into this process to understand that this is big money. You know, I'm I, I'm a bit uncertain about mentioning the kind of specific numbers of what they said that they will achieve or have achieved rather, because this is all all measured, but. They could be looking at um, picks not a random number. They could be looking at a 37% reduction, even more in the amount of energy that is being used, and energy, I mean electricity, that is being used to heat and cool the building. And this is done by a system, you know, effectively, you know, that there's all the security things in place in terms of per not personally identifying people and, you know, not, um, uh, not, creating you know ways in as it were inverted commas for for hackers etc so you know it's a secure system that's not going to hopefully give away um the sort of information that might be useful to bad actors but what it does do is it allows to uh, the creation of relationships between different systems that didn't exist before so for example um heating a building this might be done it, you know in two major ways so we're talking here an air handling unit that you know is effectively 
air conditioning you might know it as, but that, you know, that can heat and cool. That is going to make a, a big change to how the building operates in quite a short amount of time. But if you have other heating, and that could be, you know, it could be radiators, it could be underfloor, you know, whatever it is, it could be, you know, there's a number of different solutions. But, you know, that's a thermal mass solution, effectively. You know, we're going to heat the concrete and that is going to be hotter for longer. If you want to turn the heating around quickly, you'd use an air handling unit. But if you turn it around, if you want to make it like warmer, more consistently in the winter months, um, then underfloor is the right way to go. So you end up with this tension right now in a, in a lot of buildings where these two systems operate independently and they are just looking for a switch. They are looking for a click that says, my temperature has reached X, I shall turn it on. Oh, my temperature has reached Y, I shall turn it off. You know, this is the reason we've all experienced this sort of thing. This is one of the reasons, this kind of lack of foresight that you get when you put digital twins uh, in buildings and you certainly look at heating. This is where you get into meeting rooms and ha within half an hour, you're roasting. Because you went in and it was a lovely balmy 19 degrees. And then it didn't really, you know, their handling units didn't really kind of kick in until it got proper warm, 2021. 20, and by then the room is too late. You've lost. You've got to open the door. And then you've lost, from the kind of digital twin perspective, you've lost a lot of the control because, you know, like good air con, good air handling, you keep the door closed. And if you open it, because you have to, then, you know, the system's gone from the start. So some really interesting insights going to be coming out of there. And I'm really looking forward to sharing more about that as time goes by. Great work by Keir, great work by Ministry of Justice, great work by Glider, and uh, great work by uh, Future Decisions as well. It's like, it's really exciting. Genuinely, I genuinely, 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 genuinely think it's the best digital twin to come out of the UK government that I've seen. Now, I understand that there are some Department for Education digital twins that I need to see, and I think there might be a little bit of a competition here between the two of them to see who has done the best one and how they can share that knowledge with other UK government departments and then how we can share that with the rest of the world. So uh, I think that's going to be really uh, exciting uh, to observe. So, yeah, I, I just, I, I really, uh, was really hyped on that um, and I've really enjoyed uh, being you know involved in that process to a certain degree so yeah it's fantastic there's a lot of things going on right now in my life he said neatly segueing into the kind of more reflective part of the podcast um i've been looking at construction skills as you will no doubt know if you've been listening to the diaries now for the last couple of weeks and that is uh, reaching the end of phase one and I find it really interesting how the same problems in the built environment, construction, whatever you want to call it, the sector, can be seen almost no matter where you slice it. Uh, so, you know, I've been slicing it here in terms of this work, in terms of providing apprenticeship support. And where it works, it works. And where it doesn't work, it really just doesn't, it doesn't get used. And the same is true of innovation in the built environment. So big major projects, big, big, big money, very complex supply chains, implement them. Great. Um, that's going to really rationalize how you deliver things. It's going to rationalize your supply chain. Um, it's going to make sure you get consistent data more often, you know, and not, not by default, unfortunately. You know, there's still a lot of stuff that isn't just click and go. Um, 
So, you know, like it, there's still a lot of work involved, but when you get down to smaller projects and smaller, smaller companies, you just, the overheads are unreal. So the real problems, and you know, I know this from running my own company, the real problem with, you know, if you want to implement a major change to your processes as a, you know, a business of less than 10 people, someone's got to do that work. And if you run that company, it's probably going to be you. Um, which, you know, in terms of innovation, now that's, you know, that's what I do for a living. So it's been less of a problem for me. But if you are trying to upskill, or if you're trying to get more people to come work for you, then you've got to go and find out how you do that. And then you've got to go through the appropriate process. And now, as was said to me, you know, a lot of the, the way these things are created is with the involvement and support, often free, I might add, so I'm, I, of large companies. So I'm not um, uh, trying to give them a hard time because we wouldn't have a lot of the nice things that we have in the UK without these large companies getting involved. But part of the downside is that they inherently work for larger companies and they somewhat, as a result, don't work for smaller micro companies because what you will get, whether it's innovation, whether it's apprenticeship training, what you will get is a system that is really robust. So it will have all the tests in place. It will uh, make sure that everything is you know, being measured properly and everything is delivered according to uh, the requirements, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which is great. And so you try and do that as on top of your day job, you know, been talking to electricians, plasterers, thatchers, stonemasons, you name it. So if you were trying to get them to uh, deliver the BIM um, or some other digital process, first of all, how are they going to learn that? Because you could give it to them for free and that doesn't translate into free. That's still a cost because they should be working in a lot of their views. You know, they should be busy right now. And if I'm not training, then I'm losing money. It, sorry, if I'm not working and I'm training, even if that training is free, even if it's really high quality, I'm losing money. You know, uh, a lot of people are living hand to mouth. So that, you know, you've got to factor that in and the design of that doesn't really work for these micro companies for that reason. You know, some people do still do it anyway. Um, but, you know, I've been looking, intentionally looking for where it's not working. So um, I don't mean to think that the whole system uh, might need changing, which, it, you know, it might do. Um, but my view has come from talking to people who are on the ground, uh, you know, running small businesses, etc. So, you know, how are they going to learn their skills? So we could be talking about the professional skill of plastering, etc. Or we could be talking about, you know, the kind of digital skills. Um, so there's just this issue, this inherent issue of cost. Um, and also, you know, with actually onboarding an apprentice, if you run a micro company, then you are judged 100% on your last project or your current project or the, what you did today. And you can't escape that. So a large mega company might have some projects that don't go well. And they might have some projects that go really well. And they will um, be fine. They will muddle on through um, despite almost both of those, despite the great projects and the bad projects, because they can keep winning work and keep delivering. Whereas when you're a micro company, you know, a lot of your work comes from building relationships with people. And so it comes from direct 
conversations that people have said, you know, if you're a plasterer, like I like what you did in my other buildings, I'd like you to work uh, on, on the next ones. And then you do a really bad job, then you're out, um, which is a real, a real stressor. So if you want to take on an apprentice and you, you know, this was highlighted by a number of our interviewees, if you turn up to site um, with somebody who um, isn't already really good and their quality is not really good because they're learning right and that's the whole point loads of people wanted to teach but they were just really concerned that the way it would look effectively the way it would look on site um if they are not competent at a thing immediately you know that like i say you know they are demonstrating their abilities every time they turn up to site someone's there you know someone's got to be checking someone's got to be managing someone's got to be delivering um and if they need to take time out you know some people might rightfully think, well, I was paying for that. I want it to be right first time, which can be a huge concern. So there's a certain amount of how you might be able to see how this applies to one of the reasons for the kind of the lack of uh, uptake systematically for, for small uh, construction trades. You know, there's a very U-shaped industry in the built environment around the world where there, you know, a lot of the work goes to a very few, very large companies then there's not really a lot in the middle in terms of company size. And then a lot of the micro and small companies pick up the actual rest of the work and they don't have the capacity to, to deliver that. So there's a really a number of ways of dealing with that. And from a digital perspective, this is really key because, you know, if we're talking about digital twins and we're talking about somebody who's operating in, in building management, you know, we could do our proof of concept, um, but who's going to pick that up in the long run? do they have time you know if they're a small company and you know the ministry of justice uh, almost certainly isn't using you know micro uh, smes to deliver all of their you know building management and maintenance at a strategic level um, but there will be you know there will be small contractors involved in the supply chain across government and non-governmental work and that's being encouraged so there is a need and, and lots of things are done uh, to deal with this uh, but there is a need for people to be trained and to people have the support that they need to be able to do the work in a more optimal way. At the end of the day, the fact that I was used to lambast people with was, oh, too busy to improve, I rolls eyes. But that was before I was starting running my own company. <laughs> now I completely understand uh, how you might get into that position. Um, I would like to do more strategic uh, work. Um, but when times were tough and running, you know, running a micro company, times can be tough. You know, I didn't have capacity for that. I needed to go get the work, get the work, deliver the work, keep ticking the stuff over. Um, so I think really at what I'm, I'm trying to kind of get circuitously around to is that actually part of de-siloing and, you know, making the entire supply chain better is listening and involving and including people who you might not normally do so that's my little moral for today is don't ignore the small things this is like that great old quote that i did look for who said this but i can't find an official uh, sanctioned version of who said it is uh, you can always judge the character of somebody by how they treat people who can do nothing for them and that is really often how this looks for me in the built environment and the digital twin and technology spaces how do people treat people who are, they're the ones who are going to have to do the work 
but they aren't the ones that you report to. How do they treat them? You know, that's the difference for me between somebody who really cares about quality and somebody who is looking at short-term metrics. So that's my little moral. Judge somebody based on how they treat somebody who can do nothing for them. Look at how they deliver the requirements, whether this is training or it's digital twins. Look at how they engage with the people who will use it and the people who will have the most actual day-to-day engagement. And that, for me, is how you can judge something. So thank you very much. This has been my first, I think, solo podcast that I've done on the Digital Twin Fan Club Diaries. I have been Henry Fenby-Taylor, and so I think it is about time that we wrapped up. Thank you, and until next time, see you soon.